0: Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I want to say an initial welcome to you all. I want to draw your attention up here on the screen. Every Sunday morning, I'll put a little what I call a thought primer, and it's just a question to get you thinking about what we're going to be talking about that particular day. From here on out, this is always optional. You know, if you come in, I'd encourage you to take a look and to read the thought primer and to begin just, you know, thinking about it a little bit. But today, this one's going to be mandatory. I want you to take just a moment to answer the question. If you look in your Foundations Field Guide, just on uh, page one <laughs> right there, there's a little space to answer the question. I want you to take a moment and think about that. If someone were to ask you, what, what is Christianity? What is a Christian? What would you say to them? So take a moment to answer that question, and then we'll get started. Well, again, good morning, everybody, and welcome. My name is Andrew O'Dell, and I'm going to be with you for these next few weeks for our adventure through foundations. We've got some folks who will be joining us next week, couldn't be with us here this Sunday. um, So you'll be seeing some new faces next week as well. But we are thrilled that you all are here for this little journey that we're going to have together. I begin every class with a prayer, unsurprisingly, we are here in the church. In our tradition, in the Anglican tradition, oftentimes we use prayers that have been handed down to us from saints long ago. Sometimes we refer to those prayers as a collect. The idea is that the prayer would collect our thoughts for a particular day um, on the calendar or for a particular uh, reason, particular uh, cause. And... What I have done in your little Foundations Field Guide that I'll tell you more about in a moment is every Sunday there is a little place um, where you can answer the thought primer and then there is written the opening prayer. Some of these prayers you might think, oh, okay, that was a nice prayer. But you might find that some of these prayers um, God uses to speak to you in a particular way. So if you want to know where those prayers are, you can find them here in, in your little Foundations Field Guide, which also tells you where the actual prayer came from. Today's prayer is a prayer of self-dedication. I think it's an appropriate prayer as we begin this time together, intentional time that we're offering to the Lord, that we would begin with a prayer um, to dedicate ourselves once again to the Lord. So let's um, begin, bow our heads for a word of prayer. Almighty and eternal God, so draw our hearts to thee, so guide our minds, so fill our imaginations, So control our wills that we may be wholly thine, utterly dedicated unto thee. And then use us, we pray thee, as thou wilt, and always to the glory and welfare of thy people. Through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, let me say here at the beginning that there are three things that I hope for our time together over these next few weeks. The first thing that I hope for and believe will happen is, is that you all will begin to grow in your love for the Lord. And as you begin to grow in your understanding of who he is and what he has done for you. So that's number one, that you grow in your love for the Lord. Um, second of all, that you all would grow in your understanding of God's call on your life because God has placed a calling on each of you. And, and, and my hope for our time together is that that would become more and more clear, whether you are just starting out on your Christian journey or whether you are you know, miles down the road, but that you would grow with a deeper sense of God's call on your life. That's number two. Number three, my hope is that we would grow together in relationships with one another. Now, obviously, this is, a, this is very difficult given the context of the pandemic that we are living through. Normally in this class, um, on, on several Sundays, I would have a little talk like I'm going to have today, and there would be time at the end where you could break up into small groups. We, we obviously can't do that at this time. So we're going to have to be creative. Um, there may even be a Sunday where I maybe put us in a big circle and maybe go around and answer some questions. So um, my hope is that God in in his own economy will find a way for us to connect to one another, even while we are keeping our distance and, and masked and so on. And I want to acknowledge that, you know, you all probably fall somewhere on a great big spectrum of um, how concerned you feel and, and, and um, you're feeling about mass and that sort of thing and some maybe feel for whatever reason you know, less concerned. And we wanna honor wherever you are on that spectrum. Um, and I think we just need to honor each other and recognize that people are in a different place in the midst of all this and give people the space that they need um, so that they can feel comfortable coming here and being part of Foundations. We're going to have a coffee table at the back as we do today, and um, our coffee angel has prepared for us not just coffee, but some homemade uh, cookies that are individually wrapped. I'd encourage you to grab one or two, maybe even. But because we're trying to keep from, you know, crowding around the table, kind of, you know, give give folks space. Feel free, though, also, if you, you come in and the table, there's somebody at the table, and I'm starting class, please take your seat feel free to jump up during class and quietly go grab yourself a cup of coffee. I promise you it's okay. So I want to encourage you to do that um, because that's a ministry that we offer. And it's part of our way of saying, welcome to St. Philip's and we want you to feel at home in this place. So the three hopes, number one, that you grow in your love for God and your understanding of who God is. Number two, that you grow in your understanding of God's call on your life. And that number three, by God's grace that we would somehow um, begin to grow in relationships with one another um, and that we get to know you all. And also that you all would, would have a, a sense that you at least know one of the priests on staff. This is a, St. Phillips is a large church. Um, I've pastored in a little teeny weeny church where I knew everybody. I knew who they were related to. I knew their stories, you know, because it was a little teeny church. Well, St. Phillips isn't like that. St. Phillips is a big church. And as you make your way into this community, we want you to feel like, um, you know, at least one of the priests where you can pick up the phone and call. Some of you have probably heard, um, those of you who are new to St. Phillips. From Brian McGreevy, he's another priest on staff who wants to get connected with you all. But that's part of it as well, that, that you'd get to know me and I'd get to know you in addition to you all getting to know each other. So that's what we're hoping for um, in our time together. I want to do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, hopefully you all have checked in with Ellen back there. The, Ellen, show me. Okay, Ellen's my beautiful wife who is uh, checking us in. And next to her is beautiful Irene Rose who is helping us with um, some coffee this morning. We thank you, Irene, for ministering to us. Uh, So everybody should have gotten signed in. Um, If I didn't have a fancy name tag for you, I should have that for you next week. Second thing, um, you all should have received a copy of the Foundation's Field Guide. This is the key to passing the course. Okay, You lose this, you're going to flunk the course. I'm kidding, of course. But we put this together just as a little resource for you. Some of us learn by listening. So some of us are auditory learners, but some of us do much better by looking, that's why I've got these slides up here, or by writing. And so in in each week, there's a little space for you to doodle or take notes or write things down um, as would be helpful to you. So that's that's what this is for, it's yours to keep. You are welcome either to leave it here with you after the class, some people do that, or if you think, oh, there's some stuff in here I wanna take with me and ponder, take it with you, but try to remember to bring it back the next week so that you've got it for class. So that's the foundation's um, field guide and what it's for. But take a look, if you would, on the inside cover, there's a little schedule that talks about what we're going to be covering in the class. And um, things will get a little bit funky when we get close to Easter, but but we should have a pretty straight shot through from now to Easter. And you've got the dates, you've got the topics, and then you've got these chapter numbers. You'll be like, well, what's what's up with those chapter numbers? Those chapter numbers correspond to this little book that was sitting in your seat um, when you arrived. Much of the course is based on this great little book. You know, it's, it's a, it looks a little dated, it's from the 90s. You know, you can tell by looking at the pictures, but it's still a great book. If you're the sort of person um, who, again, is maybe learns a little better by reading, I'd encourage you to take this. It's a loaner, unfortunately it's not in print anymore, so we do need it back at the end of the class. But take it with you if you'd like. Um, to read because some people learn better by reading because most of what I talk about is going to be, you know, parallel. You also might want to take this book with you. Again, it's optional, but take it with you. You know, if you know you're going to miss some Sundays, sometimes people miss a Sunday and to keep caught up because the class builds on itself, you could read a chapter. Now I'm also going to be posting each class on a podcast. So again, if you're like me, I'm a little better as a listener. If you're a better listener, just know it'll be on a podcast and you can listen to it in your car, washing dishes, whatever, um, as a podcast. But either one, if you miss a class, we either, I want you to either listen to it on the podcast or read the chapter. I'll leave it to you, which would be better for you. Okay. So if you take it with you, just know that it's a loner. bring it with you back at the end of the class. So that's Um, what that book is about, Christian Basics. And I'll reference the book from time to time as well as its author, John Stott, who was a priest um, in England who died several years ago. Wonderful man. Last bit of housekeeping. I want to encourage you all, if you have one at home, to bring with you a Bible. Now, you are always welcome to use the classroom Bible. They'll be there for you. Um, I'll have the page numbers up here, so it's a okay to use the classroom Bible. But you might find that when we look at some of these passages, you might want to make a little note. You might think, huh, that that kind of hit me. You might want to put something in the margin. Can't do that in the classroom Bible. You got to do it in your own Bible. So I'd encourage you to bring your Bible with you. Now, you don't want to bring your family heirloom, you know, your grandmother's King James Version Bible with all of its these and thous. A King James Bible is beautiful to listen to. It's beautiful to read, but we don't talk that way. And in fact, some of the words in the King James Bible don't mean now what they meant then. And so if the, if the, if the idea is to understand the text, King James Bible ain't, ain't going to help you. You want to get a modern translation. That would include something like the NIV, the ESV, the RSV, the NRSV. There are others out there as well, but a modern translation. The one that we use here in class is the ESV, the English Standard Version. But again, there are lots of other translations modern translations. The main thing is that you can read it and understand it. All right. I think that is it for housekeeping. I want to say a word now about uh, who this class is for Um, because I have learned that one of the things that will help you engage this class is if you have a sense of, of who the course is designed for, because you all fit in different categories. First, there are those of you who are essentially new to the faith. And this class oftentimes serves as a preparation for baptism for those who have not yet been baptized. So if, if that's you, welcome. This is exciting. This is your, your preparation for baptism. So some, some are starting out at the beginning. Others of you here this morning maybe grew up in the church And if I ask you some questions, you probably could give me the Sunday school answers. You know, you kind of remember a few things from Sunday school. But truth be told, you're not altogether sure why Christians believe what they believe. You're not altogether sure how all this stuff fits together. Um, You just know the Sunday school answers. And so part of our time together is going to help you put those pieces together and to understand why it is that we believe what we believe. So that's the second group. People who grew up in the church, you know the Sunday school answers, but you're not sure how the pieces fit together. The third group are those who understand the fundamentals of the Christian faith. You you understand how all these things fit together, but you are new to the St. Philip's community. And so foundations is an opportunity, yes, to revisit the foundational beliefs of the faith, but it's an opportunity for you to get to know some other people so that you can feel like in this great big church, you've got some relationships. So three very different groups Who all um, need something very different in our time together. But my 100% money back guarantee is that there's gonna be something for everybody. That God will show up for you in your time here. This time that you offer to God will bear some fruit. That's my 100% money back guarantee to you all. Well, let's um, move on to the meat of today's class. What's Christianity? Or to put it another way, what is the heart of Christianity? Now, on the face of it, that might seem like a simple question. But as it turns out, people have very different answers to that question, and some of those answers do not fit together, they conflict. Whenever whenever I'm preparing um, young parents for the baptism of their child, and oftentimes we'll have young couples in the class, I don't think we've got anybody preparing for baptism in this. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Yes. Okay. So oftentimes if I'm preparing a a, a mom and dad for the baptism of their child, I'll, I'll say to them, look, You all are about to stand up in front of God, in front of God's church, and make a bunch of promises. And one of those promises, you're going to be asked, will you be responsible for seeing the child you present is brought up in the Christian faith and life? And you're going to say, I will with God's help. I'll say, well, well, what is the Christian faith and life? What does it mean to be a Christian? And oftentimes, a parent will respond with some version of this. And again, this is not to beat up on parents, but I'm just telling you what's true. Parents will say, well, um, being a Christian is about being a good person. It's about having good morals. It's about doing good things. That is, if you had to boil it down, Christianity is basically about um, performing good works, helping little old ladies across the street. What John Stott in our book refers to as a code of conduct, do's and don'ts, right and wrong. And a person who believes that this is the heart of Christianity might even say, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe so long as you live a decent life. Now, to be sure, Christianity does teach us about right and wrong. No question about it. In fact, I would argue that Christianity offers the highest moral code that the world has ever known. It's the moral code of love. Jesus himself said this. He said, this is my commandment, not suggestion, my commandment. What that you love one another as I have loved you. But true as that might be, if you just stop and think it through, you realize that being a good person cannot be the heart of Christianity. Why? Because all of us know people, maybe you have neighbors, maybe coworkers, who are trying to live a decent life, trying to be good people, but, but they're not Christians. They'd be offended if you called them a Christian. So you see, Christianity has, has got to be something more than just being a good person or doing the right things. And friends, I'll say, if you came this morning, um, you know, with your answer to the question, being a Christian is about being a good person, I want to encourage you um, to set that aside and to consider a different answer to the question, what's the heart of Christianity? Well, others might say, okay, well, maybe, maybe a code of conduct, being a good person, maybe that's not a heart, the heart of Christianity. Maybe it's about believing the right things, that if you believe everything that is contained within the creeds, then that makes you a Christian. And while it's too true that we do have beliefs that are vitally important to the Christian faith, we're going to spend some time looking at the creeds and talking about what is it that we believe. And while that's incredibly important, It's also true, as we see in God's word, that even the devil himself believes everything in the creeds to be true. And yet that doesn't make him a Christian. (laughs) The Apostle James wrote this to the church. He said, um, he was writing to the early Christian believers. He said, you believe that God is one, you do well, as in good for you. But even the demons believe and shudder. In other words, the demons believe that there's a God, they believe everything in the creeds is true. At least they have the decency to shudder. You all just kind of, you know, you say, oh, you know, God is one and you go on with your lives. So, so the devil himself, the point here is that the devil himself believes everything in the creeds to be true. And, and yet that doesn't make the devil a Christian. <laughs> so the heart of Christianity must be something more than a set of beliefs, as important as those are. Well, still others might say, "Okay, Christianity is about it's about going to church and being baptized and taking communion." What John Stott would refer to in our book as a cult. Now, this is not cult in the modern sense like David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. Not that kind of a cult, but cult in the classic sense. Like if, if you took a religion course in college, you might have studied the cult of this religion, the cult of that. That is a cluster of, of ceremonies. So, so for Christianity, that, that would be baptism, uh, holy communion, confirmation, that sort of thing. And while it's true that going to church and being baptized and receiving the sacrament of Holy Communion are very important. In fact, we do these things because Jesus told us to do these things. He he commanded us to. He said, uh, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So we baptize because Jesus commanded us to. He said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me in terms of communion. So we take Holy Communion because Jesus told us to. So these things are important. But be that as it may, I can tell you, and I say with some sadness, that it's possible to be baptized and to come to church regularly and to receive Holy Communion, but to miss the heart of Christianity. If I could put a a particularly fine point on it, I mean, anyone who, who studied anything about Adolf Hitler knows that Hitler was an altar boy. He went to church. He received communion. Can't say that he found the heart of Christianity. So, if the heart of Christianity is not about being a good person, if it's not about believing all the right things, if it's not about going to church, as important as all these things are, then what is it? What's the heart of Christianity? Christianity. Well, then some might say, well, maybe the heart of Christianity is maybe you take all these three things together, you put them in a bucket and you stir them up, you combine them. Maybe, maybe that's the heart of Christianity. But I can tell you that even this is not the heart because it's possible, it's rare, but it's possible to be upright in your belief, upright in your conduct, conscientious in your religious observance, and still to miss the heart of Christianity. Perhaps the classic example of this would be this man. Anybody have an idea of who that is? Anybody know? know. Can you guys even see this? Yes, John Wesley. Very good. Give that man a cookie. Nice work, Chase. Yes. John Wesley. He was an Anglican priest, um, father of what we now know to be the Methodist movement. I'm sure you've seen John Wesley United Methodist Church driving out in the country. And I want to tell you his story. John Wesley was born in 1703, and in 1729, at the ripe old age of 26, he founded a religious society that he called the Holy Club. And the purpose of the Holy Club was to help its members be good Christians. They were admirable in every way. They were orthodox in their belief. They ascribed to the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, they believed in the 39 articles of religion. What in the world is that? Well, that's a statement of what, what Anglicans believe. They believed all that. They lived an impeccable life. They meet, met several uh, nights every week to study the timetables of their lives and, and to, to appoint every hour to some purpose of growing in their faith. I mean, you know, this is, this is before Google Calendar and day timers. You know, I, don't, I don't know what they were using, but they were marking out Every hour of every day, and saying this, it ought to be used for this and this and this, um, so that they might grow in um, their religious fervor. They visited debtors' prisons to encourage people. They founded a school in a slum. They paid for the children's clothes and for the teachers' wages right out of their pockets. They were full of good works. They were also very religious. They attended Holy Communion every week. They fasted on Wednesdays and Fridays. They kept the traditional hours of prayer like monks in a monastery. So they'd pray when they got up early in the morning. They'd pray at noonday. They'd pray at the uh, end of the day. They'd pray before they went to bed. They observed both Saturday and Sunday as the Sabbath, just to be sure they had their bases covered. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear about these guys, I feel like a religious slacker. I mean, I'm exhausted just listening to all that they did. Yet, in spite of this extraordinary combination of orthodox belief, upright living, pious religious observance, John Wesley later realized that at this time in his life, he was not a Christian. I want you to let that sink in. John Wesley had missed the heart of Christianity. He described it as having um, the faith of a slave rather than the faith of a beloved son. For Wesley, religion meant bondage, not freedom. Well, God began a turning point in Wesley's life when at the age of 32, as an ordained clergyman in the Church of England, Wesley left his native Britain and set sail for America, where he became a chaplain to the colonists and to the Native Americans. And in his own words, this venture was a complete and total failure. After two years, Wesley gave up Tuck tail, return home. And he wrote this wor- these words in his diary as he was making his passage back to England. Listen to what he wrote. He said, I went to the Americas to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? And then later he wrote this. What have I learned myself in the meantime? Why would I the least of all suspected? That I, who went to America, the Americas to convert others, was never myself converted to God. Now, how on earth could the man that I have just described to you say such a thing? What was missing? What is the heart of Christianity that had eluded Wesley? If the heart of Christianity is not a creed of beliefs or a code of conduct or a cult of religious observance, then what is it? Well, John Wesley found out one night when he went to a little religious meeting, sort of what we would, might call a um, small group Bible study would sort of be an, an equivalent. And at this Bible study, whoever the leader of the study was, was reading um, a book of writings from Martin Luther, that great German monk who is the Founder of, of, or really the father of the Lutheran Church, uh, but that great reformer, and so they're reading Martin Luther, who himself is talking about the change that happens in a person's heart, and he was, um, he was um, giving a commentary on the book of Romans in the Bible. So we have this monk Martin Luther who is being read out of this book, who is commenting on a book from the Bible. Wesley walks in, and and he's listening to all this, and, and here's what happened. While Luther was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone, for salvation. And an assurance was given to me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and save me from the law of sin and death. You see, what Wesley discovered in that moment is that Christianity is not a system of any kind. At its heart, Christianity is a person. It's that person. And to be a Christian is to learn how to have a relationship with him. At its heart, Christianity, strictly speaking, is not a religion. It's a relationship. A relationship with that man. Now, I want to pause here and ask the question, and nobody needs to show what they wrote down, but I wonder, how does this compare to what you answered to the question? What's the, what does it mean to be a Christian? The heart of Christianity is a person, the person of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to have a relationship with him. Now, perhaps some of you came here today, like John Wesley in his earlier life, thinking that at its heart, Christianity was about being good or believing the right things or being a faithful churchman. And if that's the case, I hope we can give you a fresh understanding of what the heart of Christianity really is. Now, there might be some part of you that says, oh, come on. I, I mean, how am I supposed to have a relationship with him? I mean, the church teaches that 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 guy is God. I mean, isn't it a little bit chummy to say that you'd have a relationship with God? Isn't that a little far-fetched? But listen to what Jesus himself said to his disciples. He said, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And here's the beautiful reality. Once you begin to understand who Jesus is, once you begin to step into that relationship, that living life-giving relationship, once you begin to discover what he has done for you and continues to do for you, then all the other stuff that we've been talking about, all that begins to fall into place. All those things that people mistake for the heart of Christianity, our morals, our beliefs, our religious observance, all these things are not the heart of Christianity. They're the fruit, the fruit that comes out of that relationship. I want to press a little further in. What on earth does it mean to have a relationship with Jesus? Well, it means three things. First, it means knowing Christ. Now, all of us, um, I think, probably know something about the person Jesus. I mean, if I asked you, I said, hey, uh, where was Jesus born? Most of you probably could say, oh, okay, I think I know he was born in Bethlehem. Okay, Or if I said, what, what is Jesus' mother's name? You probably could say, oh, Mary, I know her name, her name is Mary. We all know perhaps some facts about Jesus, maybe some more than others, but that's not the kind of knowing I'm talking about. To be a Christian is not simply to know facts about Jesus, it's to know him as a friend. What I hope will begin to happen among us, we'll begin to learn how to see each other as friends. And we have to ask ourselves, honestly, do I know Jesus that way, as a friend? And if the answer is no, hey, no sweat, that's what this class is all about. Learning how to call him friend. But we need to understand this. First and foremost, to be a Christian is to know Christ as friend. But to be a Christian is also to trust Christ as Savior. And this means coming to an understanding that we need saving in the first place. <laughs> For all the good that John Wesley's Holy Club did, the reality is that deep down inside, part of John Wesley. Was trusting his own goodness to make himself right before God. I mean, there was a little part of John Wesley that thought, well, if I can be good enough, if I can uh, be religious enough, then God will have to accept me. So, in that case, who is John Wesley really trusting? John Wesley, yeah, himself. John Wesley. But Wesley came to that point that all Christians must come to when we realize that all of our good works, as good as they might be, when we compare our good works to the goodness of God, our good works are nothing but filthy rags. What color is that circle? You guys are shy. I mean, I know it's the first day, but come on. Okay, it's green. What color is a triangle? What color is a square? That's funny. I thought it was gray. Now our good works, by themselves, when they're sort of off in our, they kind of look pretty good, but then you take those good works and you begin to bring them up alongside the person of God, the goodness of God, all of a sudden you realize, "Oh, I, I thought these were pretty good, but it turns out they're not." The Old Testament prophet Isaiah described this experience this way. He said, "All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags." when compared to the goodness of God. So Wesley had a crisis moment. He'd been doing all these good things thinking that he was such a good boy, but then as he began to draw close to God, he began to realize, oh, huh. I'm not so good after all. The Apostle Paul, who wrote a good bit of the New Testament, he had a similar experience to John Wesley. Paul described himself as a Hebrew of Hebrews. That is, he knew God's law. He followed God's law. Open your Bibles, if you would, um, to Philippians chapter 3. It's page 981 if you're using the classroom Bible. And let's look at something that Paul said. This is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of Christians, a little church in the city of Philippi. And let's um, look. It's chapter 3 beginning in the verse 4, but kind of halfway through the verse. And let's see what Paul had to say. If anyone else thinks he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I've got more. In other words, even though Paul was born 1,700 years before John Wesley, if he had met John Wesley on the street, he would have said, John Wesley, your holy club ain't got nothing on me. Why? Well, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. There it is. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But then something happened. Paul met someone on the road to Damascus. He was going to persecute some Christians. And that's the change that happens between those two verses I'm picking up at verse seven. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. Now, some of you are old enough to remember going into a store, and in that store you would see an old-fashioned uh, ledger book. A friend of mine and I were talking about Max's Men's Store. Some of you remember Max's. It was an old men's store on King Street. If you went in, they had a big ledger book, And they'd write down your account. And an old-fashioned, this is an old-fashioned little mini-ledger, would always have two columns. You've got the debits column and the credits column. Things that I owe, things that I've got. Good, bad. This is the image that Paul has in mind. Okay, He's saying... All those good things I had, those good deeds, those things that I had put in the credits column, things that I could go before God and say, God, haven't I been a good boy? I've done all of these good things. So let, let's pick up. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, what Paul is saying here is all of a sudden he realized, and when he had this encounter with Jesus Christ, he realized all those things that he had thought were good works when compared to the good, it just... They actually ended up, they should be in the debt column. Why? Because none of us does any good that is untainted from, from sin. There's always that selfish motive in there. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Really, this should be, that's a Sunday school translation. It should be stronger, like crap. I count it as crap, garbage. In order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. And here's the key. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, that is being a good person, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now, what on earth is Paul saying here? He's saying that he, like Wesley, exchanged the faith of a slave, that is, slave to the law, slave to being a good boy, slave to being a, a, a faithful Jewish man, being a good person, trying to measure up to God. He exchanged all of that for the faith of a son who's been adopted into God's family. How? Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through this relationship to Jesus that we've been talking about, Paul went from the faith of a slave to the faith of a son. And the key to that shift is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, and trusting him. Paul described his trust in Jesus this way there at the end. He said that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Let me explain to you all with an analogy. Let's suppose I hired somebody to mow my lawn. If that person wants to be in my good graces, what has he got to do? What's that? Well, mow my lawn, but not only mow it, but mow it well, right? I mean, if he comes, he can come and mow it. And if he scalps the grass and, you know, runs into the flower beds, I, he, I, he ain't going to stay. He's got to not just mow the lawn. Yes, he's got to mow it, but he's got to do a good job of it. My relationship to that person I have hired is dependent on his performance. If his performance is good, we got a good relationship. If his performance is bad, you know, I'm going to get rid of him and get some other person to take care of my lawn. Unless, unless the person I have hired is one of my children. (laughs) See, their relationship to me is not dependent on their performance. Their relationship to me is dependent on father, daughter, father, son. Now, it's true if they go out and I hire them to mow the lawn and they scalp the grass and they run into the flower bed and I'm going to have a word with them say son daughter you know you need you need to change your ways you you, you've been doing this you need to stop doing that you need to do it this way and and I'd have to correct them and I'd work with them but their relationship with me what we in the church call righteousness a right relationship is not dependent on their performance So, what happened to Paul and to Wesley is that they went from being a hired hand, trying to mow the grass well to earn God's good graces, to being a son. For those of you who are women, to be a daughter. So that your trust is not in your performance, but your trust is in the graciousness of God, who has made you a son, a daughter, adopted you into his family. We've got to come to a place where we trust not ourselves but Christ. And when we do, our righteousness, it's hard to see, it's in red down there, our right relationship is dependent on him. And all those old things we've been doing to try to earn God's favor, they're like crap, they're like garbage, because what matters is Christ and Christ alone. Because he, by his cross, has made us sons, daughters of God. We're welcomed into God's house. Thanks be to God. Warts and all. And that's what God wants for you. In another letter, Paul expressed it this way. He said, God made him, that is Jesus, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, all of our garbage was dumped on him. And in exchange, we got his right relationship with the Father. We'll talk more about that when we get to the chapter on Jesus. How do we get this righteousness? How does this exchange take place? By trusting Jesus. And here's the point. God accepts us, my friends, not because we're righteous. We're not. Our works are filthy rags. No, God accepts us because of the righteousness of Christ. This is the truth that came to the Apostle Paul. This is the truth that came to John Wesley. Wesley had been trusting in himself, but to be a Christian is to trust in Christ Jesus as Savior. And when that happens, my friends, a burden is lifted. Religion goes from bondage to freedom. Well, thirdly and finally, to be a Christian is to follow and obey Christ as Lord. To return to that passage from Ephesians, Um, that we were looking at a moment ago, Paul talks about knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And while we often throw that term around, Jesus, my Lord, Jesus, my Lord, the truth is Jesus confronted his followers when he said this. He said, you call me Lord, Lord, and you do not do what I say. To have Jesus as Lord is to do what he tells us to do. It's to take our whole lives and submit them to him. My life is yours, Lord Jesus. Do with it what you will. And our desire to do this, our desire to follow and obey him as Lord flows out of that relationship that we've been talking about so that our relationship with Christ becomes the most important thing. It's a source of all life. And from that, we obey him gladly. So this is what it means to become a Christian. It is to know Christ, it is to trust him, and it is to obey him. We've got to stop now. We're a little over time. Um, I want to pray for you all and um, send you on your way. But I'm going to send you a little something I'd encourage you to read at the tail end of the chapter. And if you want to take the book with you, take it. If you don't want to take the book, I'll send you a scan of the book. It's just one last little few pages um, that talk about our commitment to Christ. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for the gift of this time. I thank you for these, your sons and daughters. I thank you for this great um, adventure that's ahead of us, an adventure of growing uh, deeper in our love for you and growing in our relationships with one another. Lord, protect these, your sons and daughters, as we go our separate ways, that we might be gathered together again next week um, and to continue on this journey. For we ask these things in the precious and powerful name of Jesus, Amen. amen. God bless you all and we'll see you next week.